Welcome to the Gaggle Podcast, where we bring you inside the newsroom to talk Arizona politics beyond what's in print. I'm Michael Squires, the politics editor at the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com, and I'm at our Arizona Capitol Bureau. Joining me this week are... I'm Ricardo Cano, and I cover education for the paper. Ron Hansen, I cover the congressional delegation. Yvonne Winget Sanchez, I cover the governor's office and state politics. This week we're doing something a little different, focusing on one issue, Arizona's teacher shortage. It's an issue that Ricardo Cano has spent the past six months reporting on, and it's tied to a number of important issues we reported on over the past year and a half. Let's start with what your reporting showed, Ricardo. Give us some of the most important findings. So um, we've created a database uh, of teacher certification for uh, 160 school districts in the state. Um, and what, what we found uh, through that reporting is that 22% of you know, 46,000 teachers across the state don't have um, a standard certificate. So a standard certificate is the type of certification that a teacher gets if they stay in the profession long enough. You know, it, it tells you that they have a college degree, um, you know, completed you know, formal teacher training, passed all the exams that they needed to pass, and have been teaching full-time in the classroom for more than two years. So nearly a quarter of the teachers in the state don't have the basic credential. Was that a surprising finding when you talked to state leaders and others in education about that? Yes and no. Um, you know, it's indicative of, you know, the, the teacher shortage landscape and the state leaders, you know, State Superintendent Diane Douglas, Governor Doug Ducey have, um, you know, publicly acknowledged that there is a teacher shortage in the state. But, um, you know, to the extent that it affects, you know, our, the state's public schools, um, you know, that's something that, you know, when you talk about the shortage, you speak in, in broad strokes because, you um, there, there's no single data point or source of data that illustrates the extent of that. Some other things that you found, you found teachers starting kind of later in the school year, at least 850 teachers were hired after September 1st, so well into the school year here. That's not really a healthy indicator there, is it? No, and, and what you're seeing um, from more schools and speaking with, with educators here is that each year, uh, you, you're approaching the spring and summer months, and the landscape is is shifting in a way. Um, you know, school districts that maybe a couple years ago didn't have much difficulty uh, finding qualified applicants are you know having to fill positions with underqualified teachers to start the school year. Well, I I grew up here, so I'm a product of Arizona public schools. I don't know what that says. That says good <laughs> or bad things about. <laughs> But, you know, I can recall, like, my first grade teacher was still teaching at school when I graduated from eighth grade. We were, I went to one through eight. And, like, the eighth, one of my eighth grade teachers had also taught my brother, who's 12 years older than, him, than I am. Yeah, he's really old. So, you know, there was a certain stability to it. Like, the teachers were there. They were, like, part of the community because they had been there a while. Is, this, is that a concern that people raise, that there's not that sort of similar education community being built? There is concern, and, um, you know, from the educators that I spoke with and cellular makeups of some of these school districts, uh, you're seeing, you know, districts that have, you know, more than a third of their teaching staffs who, you know, are either in their first three years of teaching or who are underqualified. So you're talking again about the interns, the emergency teachers, long-term subs. You talk about the Gila Bend district where... I think there were 25 teachers, 22 of them ha- weren't there during 2014. 
Yes. Uh, so Gila Bend is a school district that, you know, by their account has uh, always, you know, had this historic struggle to, to find and keep teachers longer than, you know, two or three years. Recently, the shortage landscape, you know, that's affecting more schools has sort of exacerbated, uh, you know, what they're dealing with. So this year, superintendent over there had to fill 13 positions over half his staff, and um, he called it a monumental task. So, uh, you know, this summer, there's going to be 10 teachers from the Philippines coming to Gila Bend, and, um, you know, they're qualified, you know, they've met the qualifications, you know, they, they have their degrees, they have formal training, but, and, but they will be there to start the school year come August. So you have to bring them in on some sort of uh, special immigrants, immigration status, I would assume. A special certification, you know, yeah. provisional certification. So uh, teacher pay is always sort of the, the, the number one suspect in the teacher shortage, but there are other factors. What, what are some of the ones that you found? Well, it's a combination of things that I've heard. So for one, um, you know, this is a landscape that took years to create. Um, you have a large number of, of teachers who are reaching retirement age and calling it quits. <laughs> Hanging up the boots, so to speak. <laughs> sure. Um, <laughs> so a lot of older teachers retiring. What else is, is causing it? Um, nationally, enrollment at, you know, in teachers' colleges has gone down fairly significantly. And, um, you know, just the, the pay landscape overall. Um, obviously, pay isn't, you know, the only cause here, but it is the nucleus of the causes, you know, in the eyes of uh, many educators here. Quite simply, you know, I heard time and time again, you know, it's very difficult to make a job that um, pays $33,000 in starting pay appealing uh, when there are other options for qualified applicants. Median pay for Arizona elementary teachers is $40,590 per year. That compares to $54,120 nationally. And in 2014, Arizona ranked 48th in average per pupil spending. So that's $7,457. So that uh, compares to $11,000 nationally. So yeah, we when it comes to comparing us to the national fees, we are a bit behind. Yvonne, what are some of the things that were done? I know that was this was a, an issue during the legislative session that just wrapped up. What were some things that were looked at to, to address the teacher shortage? Well, most recently, uh, the governor and the legislature passed uh, legislation that would lower some of these standards for uh, teachers. The other thing they did was uh, roll in a 2% over uh, two years, right, Ron? Yeah, pay raise for, for teachers. This is um, a quicker version of the governor's initial proposal, which uh, was 0.4% over five-year teacher raise. Um, so they did give them the, t- the full 2%. And this comes on the heels of Prop 123. And as we all know, that was the uh, ballot initiative that narrowly passed, uh, I'm trying to keep my years straight, was it 20... 2016. 2016. 2016. Oh, 2016. my Lord. Uh, 2016. The year of our Lord, 2016. <laughs> <laughs> and um, this uh, helped resolve a longstanding lawsuit and gave schools about 70% of what they were uh, owed 
from a shortfall of funding by the legislature to them uh, during the Great Recession. So this is certainly an issue that is on the top of the minds of lawmakers. I think what's going to be interesting, though, is moving forward, uh, you know, how much of the complaining and the, you know, and some obviously rightfully so, some would say rightfully so, how much you of this sound like is, the legislature. No, but I mean, in looking at it from their uh, from their perspective, you could see very visible frustration from Speaker Mesnard, Sylvia Allen, a state senator, uh, and others who are beginning to really start to push back on this narrative that the state isn't doing enough uh, when it comes to education funding, when it comes to teacher pay, when it comes to standards, et cetera. So I think it will be interesting to see how it plays out next session. Well, I know the governor's office, when he would get pressed on the initial pay raise, proposal, which was 0.4% over five years, which would get to the, the 2%. But there was teachers are saying it takes five years. So really, by then, what's the point? But they, they, their kind of counter to that was, look, we did one, two, three. They're, they're wanting people to kind of look at the big picture. Look, we're doing a lot of things. It may not look like a big splashy thing all at once. But in the aggregate, they will get there. But some districts didn't use, as Ron, I'm sure, will inform us here in a second, didn't use one, two, three money for teachers raises, did they? Well, there was a mix of results uh, when we looked at it initially last year. Um, And this is a temporary solution. This is a 10-year plan that has already jumped into the first two years. And so um, it's a temporary plan. The districts had total latitude in terms of what they were permitted to do with that money. Some of them gave all the money to teacher raises. Some of them gave everybody a raise. That meant administrators and teachers. Others had uh, different needs altogether. There was at least one small district, for example, that had tax judgment that they had to repay that had nothing at all to do with uh, salaries and such. But for them, it was this, you know, uh, windfall that allowed them to get that off their, their plate, so to speak. And and so what they do in the future is is a different matter. But this is a temporary solution and is flexible at the district level all the, all over the state. So did people talk numbers when it came to teacher salaries, Ricardo? Did they say, you know, if, if the state would really have to, to make a statement, have to bump it up 10% or 15 or... It's difficult to get a specific consensus when it, com- when it comes to that question, right? You know, just how much money is it going to take for, for there to be some meaningful results, you know, to change the tides. Is that because it would vary from district to district? Or or why is there no kind of agreement on that question? Um, You know, I I just honestly don't think that anybody really has the answer to that. I think the consensus is, you know, that, you know, teachers should be paid more. Um, And I mean, just as a mom, I will say, when you when I drop my kids off, to school and their teachers are asking me questions about this or they're talking about this issue amongst themselves, they view it as kind of through the lens of respect and, and value. Are they, is their work being valued? You know, people are leaving their children with them. They're trusting them to teach their children, to prepare them for the future, to prepare them for the world. And is, you know, monetarily, what is that worth? They would say a lot more than what they're getting now. So uh, Leah Rao, uh, one of our colleagues, had a story last week saying that some business leaders are proposing that Prop 301, which is a sales tax that funds education, 
uh, be renewed. It's going to expire in 2020. Am I right? End of 2021, I think. Yeah, I think it's, yeah. But that instead of coming in at the 0.6 or thereabouts, it, it go to go much higher, over a penny to maybe a penny and a half. Ron, what, do you, what, what is your read on that? Is that something that's going to gain traction with uh, sort of the Republican establishment? I think, first of all, they, they may have no choice. They sort of need to uh, rally around some solution to get this money into the school system. So you can do a higher income tax. You could do uh, a lot of other tax-related things, but those create you know politically unsustainable issues themselves. So a sales tax has been the preferred way for on on a lot of fronts. We've done the penny sales tax in the not so distant past uh, for education. So this is sort of um, keeping alive an issue in a way of financing education that we've done before. We'll tick it upward just a bit, and it wouldn't be too obtrusive, I'm sure, as the political calculus. Uh, the money that it would raise would be considerable, and they could structure it in a way that makes it either 10, 20 years or permanent or adjust it for educational needs down the road. There, there's a lot of latitude there that would buy them at least the political space and time to be able to rid themselves of this issue. I want to look at one other thing on this issue. I mean, we've been pretty focused on on schools and the impact there and, and teachers. But th- there's also an impact kind of beyond that arena and sort of the broader economy of the state when, when companies look at relocating here or expanding in Arizona. I mean, if their employees are going to have to relocate to Arizona, one question they're going to have if they have kids is, you know, what are the schools like? Or, you know, is this a place that's going to be a good place to, to do business? Any sense of that, Ron? You covered business for a long time in this state. Has that ever been seen as a drawback for people looking at Arizona as a place to do business? Very much so. It's been, it is a real issue. It's something that happens nationwide. Anytime any business wants to relocate or consider opening uh, somewhere, it's one of the factors they have to consider is what is the quality of the workforce that we can attract? So that's the workers who are here and getting those Arizona educations, uh, but also the re- the employees that they want to bring in. These are typically uh, higher-end, executive-type uh, employees who have options. They don't have to take that job. They don't have to go this place uh, over another. So with that flexibility, they're looking at things like, well, what kind of educational options do I have for my children and there's almost a, an educational premium tax on people like that, that if the view is I need to send them to a private school, that costs money, and they will look at what that is and, and how that fits into the whole picture for them. And so from a, a number of different dimensions, this is something that can have a very significant impact on your ability to uh, create, sustain, and grow your businesses uh, all over the state. So, Ricardo, coming back to you, what what is the outlook then for the near term? Is the teacher shortage going to persist? Well, you know, some of the educators that I spoke with say that this is a landscape that is going to worsen in the years to come. Uh, it took years and a combination of things, you know, less people going to the profession, more people going out of the profession to kind of create uh, this landscape where, you know, more schools are having difficulty finding qualified applicants, and it's going to take time to reverse those trends. Well, I mean, pay is one thing, but then when you talk about how, like, there are fewer people going to teacher colleges, how do they make the profession more appealing? It doesn't seem like an Arizona problem necessarily. 
you know, a, a big thing that from some of the schools that um, I spoke with and, and that are featured in, in the story that accompanies um, our database, you know, culture is a big thing. Schools try to sell, um, you know, obviously pay might not be the big factor here in, in attracting a teacher to, to your schools, but um, stability, good professional environment, you know, those variables that school districts and, and school administrators are very well much in control of. That's it for today. Thanks for listening to the Gaggle Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at MG Squires. At Ricardo underscore Cano one. At Ronald J. Hansen, and that's S-E-N. At Yvonne Winget, W-I-N-G-E-T-T. Thanks to the politics team and also our producers, Kayla White, Anna Gaber, and Manny Lozano. Please subscribe to the show and review it on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or Google Play. See you next week. 